I'm Samuel Broden, a kindergarten teacher with a lot to say, and this is Embracing Childhood, where we have candid, casual conversations on childhood. I'm ready to talk. Are you? Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Embracing Childhood, the podcast where we have candid and casual conversations on childhood. I'm extremely excited about our episode today and the guests that we have with us. Today, we are going to be chatting with a very, very good friend of mine, someone who is extremely well-versed in what we're talking about today, and you guys are very, very lucky to be able to hear from her. We are going to be talking with Lauren Montgomery today. I worked with her, God, almost two years ago now, probably, at the Resource and Referral Agency when I was living in Sacramento County. So we're going to have a really, really awesome conversation today just about health, safety, nutrition, um, and how those relate to childhood. So let's take a second and welcome Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Samuel. Thank you so much, so much for having me on here. This is so exciting. <laughs> of course, of course. I'm super, super excited that we got to sit down and do this. So why don't you tell everyone just a little bit about you and what it is that you do? Sure. So I have been with the Resource and Referral in Sacramento County for a little over three years now. And I also help teaching classes in Yolo County, which is the neighboring county out here. And so I've been, yeah, been there a little over three and a half years. And before I joined that though, I was a a center teacher. So it was kindergarten through sixth grade and also preschool. I was uh, primarily with the older students. So the third through sixth grade, that's who I always refer to as uh, my little babies, even though (laughs) none of them were actually babies. Uh, So I did that for about five years, and then uh, I joined the Resource and Referral. And there what I do is my main job is I teach a class called Preventative Health and Safety, and that's where the health and safety and nutrition comes in. So in California, if you want to become licensed for childcare, whether it be at a center, like a before and after school center, or a family childcare home, you need to go through preventative health and safety, just like you would CPR training. And so that's the class that I offer. It's eight hours long. And in those eight hours, we talk about everything, health, safety, nutrition, emergency preparedness, and so on. I think there's maybe like 57 topics we cover. (laughs) And then I teach little smaller classes that branch out from that, that take those topics that we touch on in preventative training, which is the short version of what we call it. And so I'll take other topics such as safe sleep environments for infants, and I'll turn that into a two-hour workshop and discussion. And other than that, you know, I help people with questions, the licensing process, those general kind of state-related things, health and safety codes, laws. But my true passion really is the health, safety, and nutrition, and just that entire umbrella that it encompasses, which really it is so ridiculously much, um, but that that makes it fun. And you guys, I there were a few of those preventative classes that Lauren and I did together. It was really just kind of me being her little her little backup person. No, I'm telling, you guys, <laughs> I'm telling you guys, I used to tell the people all the time that came to the class, like they could take that class at other places with other people, but 
taking the class with Lauren, like she's so passionate about the stuff that she talks about and you are really getting like the absolute best that you can if you have class with her. So if you're listening now, you're you're really in for a treat because we're going to get some really, really good information here. I have a few topics that we're going to discuss and it's going to be really, really informative. And I'm just really, really excited that we're able to have Lauren on here and that she's going to give you guys such good information. So we're going to start off. So Lauren is in California and I am here in Portland in the Pacific Northwest. And so one of the things that I think those two places have in common within the last couple of years is fire safety and the fires that are kind of burning really, really out of control over here on the West Coast and smoke and all these things that are really covering our states and our cities. And so I really kind of wanted to get Lauren's advice, her suggestions, her strategies for how we can best protect the children during times like these, during weather-related things like this, and how that kind of can connect with the importance of children needing to be outside and how we can kind of work around those sorts of things in these more dangerous type of weather patterns that we seem to be be seeing almost yearly now. So this is, <laughs> to be honest, my favorite topic out of all of the topics that I do teach. <laughs> uh, so when you said that you wanted to talk about things like fire season and the weather, and then what really correlates with that is the AQI, the uh, air quality index. Mm-hmm. When you told me that you wanted to talk about that, to be honest, my little heart started pumping. Um, and I always feel awkward. See, I told you guys, she's so she's so passionate about it. I told you guys, this is going to be so good. I always feel a little awkward, though, saying that this is like a favorite topic of mine, because (laughs) in no way is it fun or exciting (laughs) or anything that you want to look forward to whatsoever. (laughs) It's actually very damaging and traumatizing and detrimental and very unforgiving time of year, though, that we live in. But I think that right there is what makes me so passionate about it. I am extremely passionate about living in California. I love California. Mm. I love the entire West Coast, California, Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, Washington. It's my heart. It's where I live. And I always want to see it beautiful and taken care of and healthy for us to be in. As though the years go on, you know, it's like science. Science evolves. We evolve as people. We are not the same people that we were in the 1800s. Science is not the same as it was in the 1800s. (laughs) Our weather, our climate, our air that we breathe is not the same as back then either. And so what happens is just every year, you know, we evolve. Everything evolves. Climate change evolves. Pollution evolves. Global warming evolves. And specifically here in California and Oregon and the West Coast, what you see is or what we call fire season. But there's kind of a term, like for the trainings that Samuel and I used to go to um, for the preventative trainings. In that group, you really don't call it fire season anymore. It's just, it's California. It's yeah, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's how we are. It's, it's what we're associated with is these wildfires and these structural fires. I know if we lived in Kansas, we'd be talking about tornadoes. If we lived in Louisiana, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we'd be talking about, you know, the flooding and everything that they experienced there, but we don't. And so we live 
here and we talk about fires and air quality. Mm -hmm. So what we deal with here is, like I just said, we've got the wildfires and then the structural fires, which are two very distinct, different types of situations. A wildfire is when, you know, you've got trees, bushes, sticks, dirt, natural items burning, and that can turn into a structural fire. Mm-hmm. But a structural fire, the smoke that comes from those items burning is much more unhealthy to us than a wildfire. Sitting out by a campfire in your backyard or while camping or something, That's it's got less toxicity. Mm-hmm. Because imagine, and what I like to use as an example, and for California people, you, you I, I don't know, I don't know who's all familiar with it, but it was back in 2018, the campfire in Paradise, California, mm-hmm. that was an entire town lost. But what that means too, is that yes, that entire town and everything, those people's lives, everything that they had, yes, so unfortunate, horribly. Down here in the Valley in Sacramento and All the way across to Canada from that fire (laughs) was the pollution from it. And so everybody here in the Valley in Sacramento, honestly, all the way up to Canada um, on the East Coast side and kind of swooping through the whole middle section there, we were all affected by the bad air quality from that fire. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about the air quality, we're talking about the particulate matter, and that is the stuff that's in the air, everything that burned, the homes, the cars, the Walmart, the things in the Walmart, your makeup, your jewelry, your bedding, your food, your Monopoly games, you know, everything, Mm -hmm. everything that you have. Now that's up in smoke and those particles, that particulate matter is being basically dispersed throughout the air, settling down into places like here, the Sacramento Valley. I can't give a geographical spot for Oregon because I'm just not that familiar, but um, (laughs) wherever that valley is and where those particles Mm -hmm. are going to settle, that's what I'm getting to. And so that's what the AQI is. So when these fires are happening, they could be close, they could not be. There was a time where Sacramento was affected by a fire in Kansas. There Mm -hmm. was in 2018 where Canada was affected by a fire here, Paradise, like 90 miles north of Sacramento. So wherever it's coming from, what ends up happening is the AQI is measured by government sensors and then personal owned sensors, like if somebody chose to buy one. And uh, it's basically a jar that collects the air, shakes it around and gets an aggregate of the particulate matter. So the junk that's in the air. And that is how we get our AQI readings. AQI readings are heard a lot during this time of year, the drier months, the warmer months, which is usually when fire season is higher. I'm not going to say that's the only time. I'm just going to say it's higher. (laughs) So, and I don't mean to laugh. It's just, you know, that's, it's, that's just the reality of it. Yeah, I'm a a super realist. (laughs) Samuel knows like I will be super blunt and honest. But when you're blunt and honest, though, you're taking in the situation for what it really is Mm -hmm. and being realistic about it. And that's how adults can take information like AQI. And if it's really bad for the day and be able to plan activities Mm -hmm. for the children or plan Mm -hmm. the safety or the health of the children. 
on any given day, if there's no fire, you know, an AQI is going to be, I don't know, like zero to 50 and, you know, maybe like 23, 35. And it just really doesn't matter. Like you're not going to hear it announced. You don't need to bat an eye. You're going to be outside running around, grounding yourself in nature and in earth. Your windows are open unless maybe it's snowing. I don't know. It doesn't snow in Sacramento, (laughs) but zero to 50, zero to 75, like whatever, you know, honestly, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the AQIs have stages, and you can find that out on airnow.gov. Airnow.gov is one way. Maps, Google, you can ask Alexa, you can ask Siri. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of different ways to find it. When the numbers start rising, like at 150, when we get you know, unhealthy for the sensitive groups, that's when you're going to start hearing it being announced in the news and hearing it more predominantly. But your zero to 150, it's unhealthy for the sensitive groups. Mm-hmm. But those sensitive groups include children right. because their bodies, everything about them is still developing. Mm-hmm. Literally, physically. I mean, they're born, their little skulls aren't even all the way together. How could we expect that they're fully developed immunologically? Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. cognitively, their taste buds. So when you're little and developing, an AQI of 120 might be very detrimental and harmful to a young child, or obviously somebody you know with existing health issues, um, asthma, COPD, the like much elderly. And then from there, once the AQI starts going over 150, that's pretty much unhealthy for everybody. You know, if you need to walk to your car, get into the grocery store, of course, you know, do that. Maybe don't be breathing as heavily as possible (laughs) in that couple of seconds. But when we're at around 150, though, that's when I get sad because that's when we don't want to be outside and we, we want the windows closed so that it's not affecting our actual health. The trick, though is that the AQI could be almost 300 and still look pretty decent outside. Mm. Little children, all they see is, hey, I see some clouds in the sun. Or they don't even need to see that. They're just like, hey, I want to go outside. right? And I want to go play because that's what I do. And that's what I normally do. And then you've got the big bad adult saying, well, the AQI today is 275 (laughs) and the particulate matter is just, you know, not healthy for your lungs. That five-year-old doesn't care Mm -hmm. and they don't need to, you know, there's ways to, of course, explain lots of complicated things to children. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, they don't see the danger. They don't need to understand that an entire town just lost everything. That's, you know, they don't, not that part. But my trick, what I like to share though, about those really bad days when the kid is just like, hmm, nope, I want to go outside and you're the meanie and you're the bad one now and it looks fine to me. <laughs> and I can't right. even jump to 175 yet. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> My trick is, and this is, it's very, it's going to be up to each and every individual, but have a back pocket activity. What I mean by that is either something brand new, like still wrapped in a wrapper or brand new to the kids. They've never seen it before. They haven't seen it in a long time. They thought they lost it a year ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They'll be real excited. Anything 
yeah, anything, an art activity, something that you know is collectively their favorite, anything that you know is going to distract them. And it's like, how do you distract a child though from wanting to go outside? (laughs) That's like, oh my gosh. Like, and I hate saying this, but there's just, there's going to be small amount of times Mm -hmm. where that's needed. And we just need to find ways though, to still allow them to choose what they want, you know, allow them to express their freedoms for the day, you know, be who they are, do what they want. But as the adult, in those moments or those days when the AQI or it's literally smoky out and it is highly unsafe for them to be breathing, we do need to protect them in those moments. And fortunately, though, there are more good days than there are bad days on that. Right. And I think that that's a really good idea that you had, because I think that that's the struggle a lot of times is when when it is like that outside and it is unhealthy to go outside, it's hard because the children need to be outside. So when they're stuck inside, it can be very, very difficult. So I think that idea of having something that you know you can use if there is a time that you can't go outside that the children don't get to normally do or something that maybe it's just extra, extra special and it's not something that we ever do. But now, hey, look, we're going to do this. It really can shift what they're thinking and they can be excited about that. And then even creating those, those type of activities that can allow them to get that energy out that they would be getting out when they go outside. I think I really, really like that idea. And it's really interesting because I'm of the mindset that I want to take the children outside no matter what the weather. And so when it comes to things like this, where it's like just, it's just unhealthy to go outside, it can be a little bit difficult because I'm like, Hey, if it's raining and snowing and thundering and stuff, we're going outside. Let's go outside. Let's do all this, you know? And so when it comes time (laughs) for like these sorts of things, it's like, it can be sometimes a little bit difficult for the entire group, including the teacher to be inside. So I think that's a really good tip. I wanted to talk a little bit and see if I could get your professional opinion and professional advice on that idea of taking the children outside in various amounts of weather. I think for people who are used to working in, you know, a more kind of traditional center-based program, you know, if there's a sprinkle outside, you're staying inside and you can only go outside if it's sunny and clear and 75 and, you know, all these sorts of rules that they kind of put on. But for me, I think that the children going outside in all types of weather that's safe is okay because it might be raining, but you brought your child in a raincoat and in rain boots. So, right. Sometimes I'm looked on as like the uh, quote unquote wild teacher for doing those sorts of things. So I kind of wanted to see what your professional opinion was on on that. I don't know if we've (laughs) ever in detail talked about this. And I just got so excited. I know you can see me smiling. We're on video. I 100% agree with you on so many different levels. I don't know if we have time to discuss that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. Of course you're being considered the wild teacher. You know why? (laughs) The way that you operate and anybody else who is listening right now and just in their head agreed with what you just said. You're wild and radical because you're putting the children 
first. There was something that you described right now. You were saying, you know, like, so as a center teacher, and this does happen, I've done it. I was guilty of it. A million other teachers, everybody, we all did it. Doesn't make it right, but it happened. You got, so my center, we had 175 kids. I had anywhere between 50 and 75 just in my, my program, you know, on any given day. That's a lot of kids. You want to get them outside. They've just come from school all day where if they misbehave, their recess is taken away. Yes, yes. We don't, I don't even have time to yeah, get started that on that. That is one. a whole other podcast. <laughs> Ooh, I'm like hitting my hands right now on that one. I'm like, mm. but um, it sprinkles once. Every single child, Miss Lauren, Miss Motla, Miss Sam, Mr. Samuel, I want to go outside. You're like, oops, sorry, sprinkle. Mm-mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Why? Why are we doing that? Why did I ever do that? Why? I never, yes. until I finally realized it was what I wanted. I didn't feel like standing outside. Yes. But they clearly wanted to and had zero problem with it. Once I realized, and this is my experience, once I realized that it was me and I just started saying yes, because there's nothing wrong with the sprinkle. There's also nothing wrong with full-blown rain or snow or heat, as long as us as the adults and supervisors are you know, just monitoring them. Like if it's 110 degrees out, are we offering water and shade breaks once mm-hmm. in a while? Mm-hmm. If you're doing that and making sure they're not passing out, hey, we're good to go in some sunscreen, right. you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if they got sent to school or care with a jacket and you guys <laughs> live in Portland and Oregon where right. it snows, how in right. the world could you? <laughs> oh, sorry. No, it's snowing today. We got to stay inside girl, unless it's a blizzard. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, exactly. It's fine. But the other really important thing, and that was probably all more my opinion experience, professionally speaking, if we allow children to be intrinsically inherent, make their own choices, even if we know that they're wrong, it doesn't Mm -hmm, matter. mm -hmm. And I'm talking about, you know, hey, it's snowing out and little Samuel wants to go out and play in the snow. Okay, Samuel, would you like to wear a jacket? And mm-hmm. you say, nope, I'm good. Okay, cool. All right. If you want a jacket, you're going to let me know real yeah. quick. Mm-hmm. And until then, I'm going to watch you make that super cute snow angel in the driveway and make those amazing memories. And then, mm-hmm. oh, okay, maybe it looks like you're shivering a little bit. All right. Hey, come on. Let's. Let's go get some yeah. hot cocoa and take pictures mm-hmm, of that snowman. Mm-hmm. But when we allow them to choose and make decisions for themselves, it gives them independence, confidence. They start to realize, oh, whoops, it is cold out. And now I do mm-hmm. want my jacket. But mm-hmm. when I first came out here, I was so excited and I had been jumping up and down while mommy stood over there, not jumping up and down, no cardio, yeah. the heart isn't mm-hmm. pumping. This child's is, the body is warmer. They're running around outside. And that's what I started to realize was that these kids are running around outside having a blast. I'm standing over here in a corner needing to do my anecdotal notes. Of course I'm freezing. Yes. And I think that that's, I love that you say that because that's something that we've talked about, I feel like, in a lot of conversations that I've had on this podcast is that idea of self-reflection and 
reflecting as to why we're making whatever decision we're making for the children and really taking that step back and being like, am I making this decision because it's really unsafe for the children or am I making the decision based on something that is uncomfortable for me? And I think that when we are able to look at it that way, we can really open up the things that we do with the children so much more and we can allow them that trust and that time to make their own decisions and to learn about natural consequences where it's like, okay, you're cold now. Okay. If you go outside and it's kind of cold and you don't have your jacket, that's what happens. Let's go get it, whatever it is. But we're giving them that autonomy over their bodies and over their thoughts and and all of those things. And so I really think that it's important for us to think about When we're thinking about this idea of the children going outside during whatever, rain, snow, wind, heat, whatever it is, it's really important for us to really think about what the reasoning is behind us saying no or us not letting them go outside because I was the same exact way. I was like, there's no way I'm going outside and standing in that rain. Are you kidding me? No, we're going to sit right here. But then once I started really unpacking that and really trying to figure out what the reasoning was, there really was no reason besides me being uncomfortable. And like you said, I'm uncomfortable because why? Because I'm just sitting here. So I'm like, okay, next time it rains, let's just get excited and go outside. And how about I play with the children? Or how about I do some things that I would have wanted to do, you know? And so then you do it. And so you go outside and you're like, hey, this is actually kind of cool, like running in the rain and you know, whatever all these things are. And so it really changes the perspective and it allows the children kind of that that space to experience that as well. Because children, they learn so much more and they learn much better when they're actually experiencing things. So it could be one thing for us to sit there and be like, this is what rain looks like. And this is what <laughs> happens when it rains. And da, 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 you know, but it's like, no, let's go outside. Let's feel it. Let's smell it. Let's see how much we can collect of it. Let's measure it. All these things that they can do that are hands on and really holistic. It's they're going to learn so much more from it. And those are really all the reasons why I believe that way and why I believe that children should be outside as much as is possible for their safety and things like that and I'm really really glad to kind of hear you be on that same page because because it's so important and you know we think about when we were younger it was always fun to like run through the puddles or play in the snow or be outside when it's hot and spray the hose and you know do all those sorts of things that we did and so it's very strange that now that we're adults it's like we completely forget about all that and really just think in a more like selfish way And so I'm really glad that you brought up that self-reflection piece, because I think that that really carries over through all the work that we do with children, because a lot of the responses we give children, a lot of the reasons we give children are all really just based on our own personal experiences and our own comfort levels that we really haven't unpacked or dealt with yet. And so I think that that's... uh, I really love hearing people like organically say things that I also believe at the same time. So it's like when you were talking about that, I was like in my head thinking like, yes, yes, that's exactly it. I love, I love how like 
things can come and tie back together. So I really, really, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that's super, super important. And then of course, like always, like, yeah, making sure that us as the adults are making sure that things are safe and think the children are healthy and these things are happening when they're outside and these sorts of things. Because I feel like a lot of times parents can also have weight on that decision as well, you know, where it's like, oh God, if I take Johnny outside, his mom's going to be so pissed at me because he's going to be wet or he's going to be whatever. So really kind of having these conversations with the parents as well and helping them to kind of unpack those ideas and helping them to feel, to trust that, you know, yeah, I'm taking him outside in in the snow. It's like literally snowing outside, but I'm taking him outside, but we're still going to make sure that he's safe and he has somewhere to go that's warm if he wants to be warm or whatever it is. So yeah, so I'm really, really glad that you said that. I wanted to get to one more thing, because honestly, you guys, Lauren and I could like talk for like hours and hours and hours and hours. Seriously. Yes. You guys already know that I could talk for hours and hours, and Lauren, I think, is even further down that road than I am, so you can just imagine how that would go. (laughs) I'm a (laughs) chit-chatter. One of the things that I really liked about... Lauren's training that I did with her and her other trainings on her own is the nutrition piece of it. And that's something that's always really spoken to me. And I've always really wanted to make sure that we're doing what we can do to make sure that the children are eating as nutritiously as possible, because we want them to be creating these healthy habits when they're young. Again, going back to our own experiences, because I'm sure a lot of us didn't really grow up with healthy habits like we should have. And now here we are, you know, and it's one o'clock in the morning and we're driving through Taco Bell three times a week. And it's like those sorts of things where it's like we need to kind of think about like, oh, I really wish I had learned a healthier way to have a relationship with food or I really wish that I had learned a healthier way to have a more positive relationship with my body and with who I am. And so that's always been something that's been really interesting to me and something that I want to do my best to kind of instill in these children. And so I was really excited to really kind of seek Lauren's thoughts and advice on how we can help to begin and create these sort of healthy habits with the children starting at this young age. So, of course, another favorite of my topics. (laughs) So in that preventative class that I teach, the last hour is nutrition. And, you know, I'm supposed to sit there and say, oh, eat your vegetables and your protein. And protein doesn't come from meat and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, we get that. We we know that. It's not just about each your five food group or what's five food groups. See, I don't even like, I don't even focus on that. We all know those things, your vegetables, your grains, your whole grains, you know, whole grains are better than whatever. Those yeah. things are all true, but there's so many Instagrams and Facebooks and blogs that you can get that information from if you like need to dive into those details. But our bodies are also all so specific. I mean, there's diets for your blood type. There's diets for your, like, everything. Like, probably for your, like, eye color or something. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. for <laughs> like, I don't touch on that stuff. Because to me, that's very individual. You know, maybe you're vegan. Maybe you're keto. Like, and it's all good. When I talk about nutrition, I always feel it's more important. And I'm going to pick up kind of right where we were on the whole like weather thing, our ending point there was that it's really all about allowing the kids independence, choices, and 
autonomy over themselves, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. their body, their brains, their experiences. And when they're adults later and not sitting at our table and having to say, oh, can you eat one more pea? (laughs) Life's not going to be like that. They're they're going to have other things. So when I talk about nutrition, it's about more so believing in the child, letting them choose what they're going to eat how much they're going to eat. You know, we're in charge of what we cook. Okay. I'm cooking lasagna and Caesar salad for dinner. It's going to be served at the dinner table at 8 PM. There's your facts. If you're not hungry, it would be great for you to still sit with us. Okay. So you don't like lasagna tonight. All right, fine. What about that Caesar salad? Kid eats the whole Caesar salad. Fine. Me as the adult. Great. And I'm Mm -hmm. saying great because they chose what they're going to eat and how much of it to eat. And they sat there, you know, with the family or the group or, you Mm -hmm. know, the friends, whoever you're with. So you've got that community while eating because yes, food is nutrition and you obviously have to have it to be alive and it's delicious. Some, you know, (laughs) we've all got our personal (laughs) preferences, but when it really, really gets down to it, food is love, it's comfort, it's culture, it's religion, it's tradition in any way that you want to look at it. It is nutrition, but it's habits, it's friendship, relationships, it's trust. All of those things I just said can be between you and yourself you and the people you're eating with, those who taught you to cook. I was raised by a chef. I married to a chef. I got very lucky that way. I wanted to be a chef most of my life until one <laughs> one day right before I graduated high school. I was like, eh, not going to do that. I don't know why. The universe just said, no, Lauren, don't. Broke my heart. But it wasn't always about the cooking for me. It was what food does for people, the smiles, Mm -hmm. the community. But again, back to the children, when you allow them to say, I'm going to eat two bites of this salad, a bite of that lasagna and a piece of that broccoli, and I'm good. Mm -hmm. And they're genuinely full. We're good to go here. You know, now that of course is easier said than done. It's not always going to work that way, but What we do to get to that is perform those habits and instill those habits that you were talking about. Nobody ever forced me to eat my peas as a child. I hated peas. I still hate peas. I am a 36-year-old woman, and I think peas are disgusting. Oddly enough, though, I love a good split pea soup. I don't don't understand it. Um, But seriously, peas, I flick them at my dogs. I will gag at the sight of them. I hate them. But I love all other vegetables, asparagus, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. It doesn't matter. My grandparents, when they raised me, and as funny as that is, my grandparents raising me back in the 80s (laughs) never forced me or shamed me into eating anything if they were serving peas and I did not eat the peas, but I ate my Brussels sprouts. There was not a problem in sight for them. There was never guilt. And for an adult woman that who, and I'm talking about myself, I have 
severe anxiety and depression that I deal with all the time. And of all the things, the tiny, tiny little things that I remember as a child, what I can always wholeheartedly tell anybody is that it was never, my anxiety or depression was never associated to food as a child. And thinking back on it, that is probably such a huge gift. That is such a huge gift that I was given by my family. I have no idea if they did it intentionally or not. I mean, seriously, (laughs) 60-year-old grandparents back in the 80s, like, was this a miracle? What what happened? (laughs) But I feel so genuinely lucky because there are so many Mm -hmm. people, children and adults, who weren't shown healthy habits for various reasons that are all, you know, acceptable. None of them should be shamed ever. Oh, I'm starting to get so passionate. I'm starting to lose track. Yes, yes. No, no, no. I think that it's, I really. Give them the the choice. Yes. Because that's where it starts. But always, you know, put the peas on the table. Maybe one day little Lauren Mm -hmm. would have eaten the peas. Well, okay, well, obviously I didn't, but it happened with tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's really, it reminds me of, there's like, I can't remember what it exactly is, but there's a slide in your nutrition part uh-huh. of that training and it's something about what the adults can control or what the adults can do in terms yes. of mealtime okay. and you kind of touch on a little bit and I think that that's a really cool thing to talk about because I feel like I mean even me growing up hearing things like you need to clear your plate because there's children who are starving and they don't have food and they need to eat it all that kind of stuff right and so then you grow up with that idea and so that's why you know people are overeating or that's why people have these unhealthy relationships with food. And so it was making me think of that slide. I hate that. I can't know. I can't remember. Exactly I, I have is. my binder actually right here in front of me. Um, <laughs> I knew it. I knew she would. I knew <laughs> Cause it. I'm like, I know I have it memorized. I should probably, Oh, here it is. Oh yeah. See, I should have just said it. I did. How many times have I taught that? <laughs> 30. <laughs> I know, this right? is everything that I just described. Everything you just described. This is really, I feel is the main point as well as exposure and understanding that as children's bodies are growing, literally developing, so are their taste buds. Okay, so this was, all right, so the parent, the caregiver, the adult is responsible for what food is offered, where it is served and eaten, and when it is offered. So we're having turkey sandwiches for lunch. It is being served at the table where we're going to eat it. It's going to be there at noon. The child, and this is where we have got to, it's the only way I've got it. You have to be blunt and honest. Us as adults have to step aside for a moment here. The child is responsible for how much to eat and whether or not to eat. And I can feel the future audience cringing at that statement. Yes, 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 I know. Yes, yes, I'm yes. not perfect. That is, I don't have children, but I do have a niece and a nephew who are uh, four and almost five. My other two nieces are infants, so we don't even have to worry about this. <laughs> and even me, I, I'm sitting there at dinners with them and lunches. I mean, we're together all the time. Oh my gosh. And they're good eaters, you know, for four and almost five. But even sometimes I got to watch myself and go, Lord, God, stop, just eat your peas, you know, right, don't right. worry about them. They're sitting here, lovely family, lovely food. 
if they took two bites, they took two bites. Maybe they're not getting the ice cream after the right, two right, bites. Right. But is two bites normal for them? Because if two bites is genuinely their normal lunch serving, then that's fine. Then they can have that little Kinder Egg or, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, or whatever the treat is if you do treats. But that right there, it's what we're responsible for and what, what they're responsible for. And that is hard, though, especially because most people were not taught that. You just said that most people were not taught that it's. Children in another country are starving. And then we grew up with this like preconceived notion that a whole country of people were starving. They weren't. Like, you know. Every other child in the world is apparently starving except for me. And if I don't eat this food, it's even worse. But that guilt, like think back on it. Everybody listening right now, please, two seconds, think back on somebody ever saying like somebody else could be eating that. Or, you know, somebody else would appreciate that. What did that do to us? And how did our little brains take and absorb and churn that information into God knows what it came out? Yeah, exactly. It's like it really started our whole relationship with food and with our bodies and all of that. And if we look, there's so many of us now that have these unhealthy relationships with food unhealthy relationships with our it's bodies not our fault. and how we feel about ourselves. <laughs> it's not. Exactly. And so that's another thing that takes us back to that idea of that self-reflection piece and thinking back to things in your childhood and how those things molded you into who you are now. And are those things that you feel good about? Are those things that you liked? Are those things that you feel were supportive and were you allowed all of that? And so when we, and that's kind of a hard process to go through, you know, but it's like our experiences shape us and the experiences that these children are having right now are going to shape them. So if I had an unhealthy relationship with food or my body or all these sorts of things, is that something that I want these children to have when they are growing up? And obviously, I would hope the answer would be no. And so then when you take that answer and you think about, okay, what are some things that I'm doing to perpetuate this same sort of feeling with them? And what can I do to change it? Because I feel like a lot of times, like in centers and in programs and stuff, it is very much that it is very much like, no, you have to eat all of this. No, you have to drink all of that. You can't get up until you're done. All of these punishments here. And it's it's crazy. It's really, really crazy. And it is just creating that idea in their head that if they don't eat everything, it's bad. If they don't eat this, it's bad. And who knows what that's going to create in them. And so I really, really love that little handout. And I really think that that is like such a simple way to think about it, even though it might be difficult to think about it. I think that it's a really, really great way to think about children's nutrition, because you're right, it can't be yeah, they should eat this. And then this is good for this and eat these vegetables and eat this. Like everybody knows that (laughs) (laughs) Like literally there is not a person in the world who does not know that fruits and vegetables are good for you. Like that's blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And a kid doesn't care either. (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's really all about kind of how we can change the mindsets of people really and then of these children so that they do grow up with with healthy thought processes when it comes to food with healthy relationships with their own body whatever that may be all of that 
So I'm really, really glad that because you said it and it made me think of the thing. And I was like, that was always something that really stuck out to me. So I'm really glad that we got to bring that up. And here now, look, see, I already told you we talked for so we could just talk forever. forever. Like, no, let's keep going. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. It's so good. It's so I, good. So many points I didn't tell and, and yes, that I want to share. Okay, so everyone who's listening, I really hope that you got a lot of good information. I know it was a lot. I'm going to have Lauren let us know where we can find some more information about what she's doing, where we can find some more information about the things that she talked about. And it seems like we may be thinking about having a part two of this conversation, maybe, because there's just so much that we can talk about. So (laughs) we'll talk about that because there's a lot more in this area. And I think that Lauren's expertise is really, really welcome. So you're too kind. Lauren, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find things that you're doing and, and all of that? Sure. Okay. So I do not have a beautifully curated um, Instagram like Samuel, which I hope you're all following him on all of his platforms and different apps. I have to say that though, like before I even like do anything for myself, because they're so beautifully done and they're just so from the heart. So please, everybody must be following him. (laughs) So I don't have that. So just follow him instead. But what I do have is a YouTube link, which Samuel said that he'll put in the description or somewhere that you can all access. And the link is basically just to a compilation of videos that I have put together They are all, what is it? It's, I think I have a video for each topic that I discuss in that eight hour class now, and then all the other classes that expand on that. So we've got like how to use fire extinguishers, carbon monoxide poisoning, you know, signs and symptoms, safe sleep videos, like how to sleep an infant safely to try to do what we can to prevent the, prevent SIDS, uh, sudden infant death syndrome. And the list just goes on car seat installation. So all of those videos are going to be in there. Some are short, some are long, poke around, um, open to the public. I don't post too much, but feel free to subscribe. But I think all of my videos are are pretty much up there at this point. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, check those out. Like I said, summer 22nd. So poke around and just see if there's a topic that you're interested in. And obviously that can expand and open up more for you. That's awesome. That's that's really, really cool. Yeah. But if there's just anything that I could say last would be in every topic you're discussing for children, whether it's being in nature and having your feet grounded in the earth or health, safety or nutrition, as the adult, think for yourself, whatever your heart and brain tells you and know who you are or at least be able to acknowledge that you are on the path to that discovery. Mm-hmm. Because when you just go off of everything blindly from whatever we were taught, you might be leading blindly. But when you think for yourself, that's when you can get to how you actually want things. Oh, beautiful. That's what nice. a beautiful way to end that. That is amazing. I will put that link up in the description for you guys to check out. Please go check it out. It's amazing. And I'm really, really glad that we got the chance to talk with Lauren today. Hopefully we'll talk again. I really hope you guys got some good information out of this. Like I said, check the link when I post it, check out her videos as always follow us over on Instagram at honoring childhood and embracing childhood podcast. If you want to be on the podcast, 
If you go to our website, honoringchildhood.org, there is a little form for you to fill out if you're interested in coming on and having a discussion with us. We want everyone to come on. And yeah, make sure you subscribe so you know when new episodes come out and share and tell your friends. And we will see you guys next time. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you so much. I love you forever. I love you. Bye, guys.